Hey, it's G220 Radio. Have you subscribed to the program? Go subscribe, like, share this episode. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to have Joshua West with us. And we're going to talk to him all about his testimony, about his books, and about his ministry. So stay tuned. And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller, and we have Pastor Joshua West with us here tonight. We're going to talk to him, as I said uh, in the intro there, about his testimony, how he's come to know the Lord, about his ministry and his books. Uh, it's going to be an exciting program. Excited to have him on with us. Uh, but before we do that, Mike, as usual, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing pretty good. Getting ready. A little late to the show. I was trying to make some coffee before I came in. It's a little, sometimes more difficult and miss completely missed the notification that he sent me. Yeah, Mike is our resident coffee maker. Like he makes real coffee. Like I have coffee here, but it's from a. I don't even know if I pronounce it right. The Keurig, Keurig, Keurig thing. Like, thing I don't know. Like, I don't make. Which Mike would say that. is not even real coffee, but you know, to me, it's good. I was at church the other day and, and uh, one of the, the brothers came in. He was like, hey, let me run and get you some coffee. I'm going to run out real quick. And I was like, yeah, yeah, pick me up a coffee. He says, it's from this gas station. I said, gas station coffee is coffee to me. But Mike, you would probably disagree, right? He'd say, oh, no, you got to have the beans. You got to do all that stuff and yeah, roast it and <laughs> real coffee. So I mean, it's coffee. <laughs> I mean, it'll be good coffee, yeah. but it's coffee. Uh, I can't deny that. True, true, true. So, hey, we have Pastor Joshua West with us. He's down there patiently waiting. Uh, brother, welcome to G220 Radio. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate both of you. Well, I'm excited to have you on, brother. We have been friends on online for a little while. Um, I remember you you sent me, you said, hey, I want some, I have some books I want to send you. You sent me a couple of your books, and um, we've been friends since, and we've been able to talk uh within the last month on the phone and I got to know you real well. And I really uh, love your heart, your desire for people, your passion for God's word. And so I thought, Hey, this would be great to have you come on and share that with the listeners as well. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself personally, uh, and then get into how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, um, I've been serving the Lord for, um, over 20 years now. And, uh, very grateful to be part of the the family of God. Um, currently, I'm the uh, the pastor and program manager of a men's drug and alcohol recovery program that's called Sunrise Adult and Teen Challenge. And we are not a rehab. We're not against rehabs. We're just not one. We are a biblical discipleship program that is gospel centered. That focuses on the actual problem, and and that is uh, sin and disconnection from our our creator. And so that's what I do. Most of my time deals with, uh, you know, running this ministry along with, uh, some, some other wonderful people who God has, has put here with us. Um, I've had the, the honor of being able to write some books and got some, you know, opportunities to speak and, and, and I travel a little bit and speak, but mostly most of my energy is focused on discipling about a hundred people, um, and their families that God has put under our care. And it's a full-time job. And, the, the difference between, you know, obviously this and, uh, you know, a, the local churches, 
is as men are graduating, the number of people, you know, that I'm connected with just keeps growing and growing and growing. Hopefully as, as they're graduating and many of whom are following the Lord, they're connecting with their own local church, but it's not always the case, even though I wish it was. So after, you know, years of doing this, the number of people that reach out to you, you know, and families and, and whatnot, um, you know, uh, grows and grows and grows. And so, you know, there's a lot of people, like I told you before we came on the air that, that don't come to the saving knowledge of Christ, don't end up following God. And so these people obviously typically don't get connected with a local church. And so they reach back all the time, you know, and, and obviously we're telling them the same things we have all along, but sometimes it's a long process. You know, there's men who, who come in and leave or men who graduate, but don't really turn their lives around. And, and uh, so, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And, and really what we're praying for mostly um, is a miracle. You know, regeneration is a miracle that is uh, initiated by God, that is um, completed by God. And so really all we're trying to do is preach the truth to them, biblically disciple them and pray that, you know, speaking that the light comes on at some point. So, um, you know, my personal life, I'm, I'm happily married to my, my wife, uh, who is my best friend. She also works in this ministry as our office and finance manager. And uh, after nearly a decade of trying, God blessed us uh, after infertility with our, our brand new baby boy. Um, you know, we had already resigned ourselves that maybe it wasn't God's will for us to have kids. And this was, um, you know, something that my wife was really distraught about, but she made peace with it. And we said, you know, we're just going to probably adopt some kids, which we still are planning on doing. Um, but then we, we got, you know, pregnant and now we have a four month old son. So uh, a new, a new brand of discipleship starting, you know, my wife is primarily focused on that. Um, she uh, still works here. We bring the baby to work, but at some point she's going to transition out of here and, and begin to homeschool our son so that, um, you know, he can be raised in the admonition of the Lord. But that's pretty much, pretty much what I do and uh, who I am. You know, the most important thing I want to be known as is is a son and servant of Christ and uh, just like you brothers. And so it's, it's, it's an honor to be on here with you. Well, again, congratulations on the, the birth of your new child there. Uh, such a joy. I know I have a, a house full of them in there. Mike's got uh, a couple of children as well, and, and it yeah. is a joy. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's, you want to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and, uh, it, it actually even works on the parents, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> sanctifying. So, yeah, sanctifying, yeah. right? So, especially, um, especially now, um, at least in our experience, we're finding a lot more good children's books that's centered on the gospel. Um, in fact, my wife and I are going to be looking at uh, the Westminster Bookstore today because they have a kid sale. They have it their kids week in which their kids books are on sale until Thursday. So be like, get some good theological resources for kids. Um, That's great. My wife has actually been searching that stuff. Our baby's only four months old and she's been actively looking for, you know, theologically sound books, which, you know, when you don't have kids, you don't really realize that it's not a terribly easy thing. There are some yeah. of these sources, you know, like maybe Westminster, but there's so much stuff out there that even at a very young age uh, has concepts in it that, you know, have the title of, of Christian on it, but are not, you know, the presuppositions, you know, and um, I was looking at this one book, me and my wife are laughing about, and, uh, you know, the book said, God loves me because I'm good inside. 
And uh, it was, you know, it's just ironic that that's an opposite pre, you know, presupposition of, of what we actually believe as Christians. So it's funny how, you know, it's a whole new journey. And I'm, maybe I'll reach out to you, Mike, and you can give me some yeah. advice on oh. what to look for. My wife has tons of resources. We got to hook our um, wives up then. You know, that just trying to find good books, good books for our, um, I guess I have one right here, good books for our nursery at church. But even like, here's Paul Cox from Reftunes in his Baptist Catechism book. Oh, yeah. It's cool. very nicely done. Um, yeah, I can go on for quite a while. My wife even longer on just good resources for kids. Which sounds like it's a future episode of G220 Radio. We're going to talk about some materials <laughs> yeah. for children because those can be very helpful. Like you said, you know, sometimes you don't really think about what's out there. And honestly, like me and my wife were driving the other day and we drove by an old family Christian bookstore, which is no longer there. They're gone. And I was kind of lamenting a little bit. I said, man, it's kind of sad that it's gone, even though there was some heretical bad things that they put out in there, it was nice to be able to go in and pick up a Bible if I wanted to get a Bible and I can actually look at them, you know, in my hand and say, okay, I'm going to pick this one up or find, you could find some rare stuff in there, some good apologetics sometimes, you know, but it was just nice to have that as a place to go. Those are kind of gone to have the bookstores. Now it's, it's searching online and trying to find. And if you don't really know the author or the site in which you're going, going to, just because it's labeled Christian doesn't always necessarily mean it's theologically sound. And so then we have to be careful. And as parents, you, you want to do that because you want to raise them, you know, with sound theology, knowing ultimately that it is God who's going to change the heart and take his word and apply it in them and build it up in them. But we're still responsible for the things that we are teaching and putting into our children. And so, yeah, it could be uh, very, very challenging, but um, edifying too, to see, there are things out there and resources. So, yeah. Definitely. Looking forward to that, Mike. So we're going to have to set that one up. Yeah. I'll tune in for it and watch. I'll watch it if you guys put it out. Yeah. So, so Pastor Joshua, now you tell us how you came to know the Lord. Um, because I know we talked on the phone and, and uh, you're coming out of a, a more of a charismatic kind of background and then coming into more of the, the doctrines of grace. And so kind of share with us how you came to know the Lord, the, the journey kind of that you've been on uh, and to where you are now theologically. And then we'll go from there into a little bit more about the, the sun, sunrise ministry. And we'll talk about that. And then I want to talk to you about your books as well before we before we get out of here. Excellent. Well, I won't, uh, you know, start at the, the old beginning, but, you know, born to a, a teenage mom, a single mom who kind of, you know, late 70s hippie, you know, grew up uh, listening to rock and, you know, she, a little bit of a party girl. Once she got pregnant with me, you know, she tried to get her life in order and eventually um, gave her life to God. And, and by the time I was in, you know, kindergarten or first grade, um, I was going to Christian school. And so I went to a Christian school that was, um, it was pretty good there. You know, there was a blend between there was, it was a charismatic background, but not really like a lot of the stuff we see today. And we, we read the Puritans, read the Pilgrim's Progress. And, but, you know, uh, I don't need to be convinced of the depravity of man because, because from a very early age, and I don't say this to, you know, heighten the testimony, but I, 
you know, I'm a musician and I was just very enamored by the world. And, you know, I didn't really want much to do with what Christian school had. And I was, I was, you know, just desperate to get out of there. And as soon as I had the opportunity, I left the church and, you know, tried to chase my dreams playing music and played in some rock bands and had a little success doing that, but, you know, never material. It didn't ever become a rock star or anything like that. And, um, really uh, just fell into deep life controlling addiction. Um, started with drinking and then, you know, partying on the weekends and at some point, um, become a needle junkie and, you know, I'm the worst mm. of the worst kind of drug addict. And, uh, you know, to be, to support my habit, I became a drug dealer and, uh, you know, just really kept lowering the bar of what being good meant. You know, I, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. So, you know, I'm not as bad as that guy. Um, but as the bar keeps getting lower and lower. And so, you know, I always knew to some extent, it was never like an atheist. I believed that God was there. Um, I believed in God, but, you know, even without the way I grew up, I was, you know, just highly influenced by a lot of televangelists. I mean, anytime I would spend a stint in jail, uh, you know, the guys who were living for the world, we'd still get up in the morning and watch the televangelists, you know, and try to hope for some, encouraging words or some some hope or something and and so for me that that was kind of the pattern of my life and uh you know uh, even had some stints of sobriety where i would you know go tell my testimony to people and really try to kind of turn that into idolatry to be honest with you really focusing a lot on who i was and what i did and where i'd been and you know i see a lot of people doing that today where their testimony really isn't about the glory of god it's more about you know all the stuff they did and how bad of a guy they were and you know it was more about glorifying man and and so that brand of christianity you know allured me because i was all about myself frankly and uh and there was preachers that were telling me that i i could have all of that and i wanted to be successful and i wanted to be a somebody and uh and so i just kind of went back and forth falling in and out of addiction and uh you know, my story really changes uh, in 2001 when I found myself in Dallas County Jail. And uh, just briefly, I met a man who had been in prison for several years. And uh, he had been pulled back to county jail to, to testify in a court case. You know, he was serving time in prison, but he came back to county jail. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people. Everyone talks about God. You know, you're talking about all sorts of horrible defiled stuff cursing gambling but then we also like to talk about god too because it makes us feel mm. good um anyways but this guy was was different than the rest and and began to really challenge me and asked me if i was a follower of christ one day when i was reading a, a red gideon's bible and basically asked me if i was a follower of christ and i said well, i don't know if i'm a follower of christ but i think i'm a christian because i recited that prayer you know when i was a kid and pretty sure I'm saved, but I don't know that I'm necessarily, a, you know, a follower. That's pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And over the course of a few weeks, he began to, you know, show me in the scripture that there really was no magic prayer. Um, it offended me at first because I was still listening to these men on TV that, that told me the opposite and, and really, you know, made me desire. I, I hungered for signs and wonders the same way kind of I did for addiction. I think a lot of people coming out of that life fall into that sort of desire for, you know, something exciting and instant and fast. And, and so anyways, long story short, um, that's where life really started for me. Um, I read through the book of Romans and, and for the first time I realized that, that, that it was talking not just about me, but to me and, uh, you know, became fearful 
of myself for the first time. I, I truly had a fear of the Lord. And to make a long story short, um, I came out of jail wanting to live for God. And I tried, but I fell back into addiction. It wasn't a magic cure. I would go to churches and, you know, I would recite the prayers. I'd let people, you know, lay hands on me and do all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, apparently, you know, I just didn't have enough faith because it's not God's problem, right? Of course, he's it's not his fault. It must be mine. And so at some point, I had a person come to me and basically said, listen, I see you, you know, floundering out in the world trying to serve God. There's this place you can go and I'll take you there. And it's a biblical discipleship ministry. They'll help you deal with the practicality of this addiction, but also will help you grow roots and, and learn what it really means to follow Jesus. And and I did, and I went to a, a program, a Teen Challenge program in Texas, and God really began to change my life, and um, and I really began to become convinced of the biblical gospel, and my my Christianity, little by little, became less me-centered and man-centered and more God-centered, but I was still kind of caught in this vacuum because I really was still wrapped up by this time in some, you know, pretty anti-biblical charismatic movements, you know, I'd like to say hyper, you know, charismatic movement. And, and the problem was by this time I had a pebble in my shoe because I, I began to really, um, you know, I, I was really a student of the Bible. And so I had a real hard time reconciling the two things. And, uh, but the, but my response always was that, you know, surely these men are, they're more anointed. They're more, they're smarter. They know more about this than I do. So I'm just not, putting the pieces together the way they did. But eventually, um, at some point, I really became so despaired, you know, really just tormented, really, that uh, that I, I wasn't doing Christianity right. And I began to listening to the preaching of a person who was a charismatic preacher, but not the same as most that you would know. And his name was David Wilkerson, who is the founder of Teen Challenge, actually. And he began to preach from the Bible, very, very, you know, the Bible was lifted high and the word of God was, you know, the thing that we all sort of, uh, you know, every, everything centered around that. And that gave me a taste for, for biblical preaching. And for there, it was like a ball of, of yarn that was just pulled. And, and, and eventually, you know, there's so much to someone's story, but I just kind of made this decision because here's the problem with, with all sorts of heresies and errors in the church, um, not just in charismatic movement, but even in within Baptist denominations and other denominations, we grow up with church traditions, and abandoning them is, is is scary. We grow up in a culture that conditions us, and we think, well, this is normative, and this is a man of God. But I finally got to the place where I made a decision, even if I was going to be by myself, um, I was going to try my best to follow the Bible and uh, and begin to do that, and, and, and then eventually landed and met a pastor in a biblical church who began to disciple me and correct much of my false doctrine, very patient, very kind. Some of the questions I asked this pastor, his name's Chad Burton, he, he's in Irving, Texas, you know, and just looking back at what it must have been like to disciple me, you know, because I had so much confusion and and really, um, you know, just had a hard time letting go of of what I thought Christianity was. But in the end, I believe I truly was regenerate because the hunger for God's word and, and wanting to be right with God um, changed my life. And, you know, eventually I would go to Bible college and seminary and, uh, and uh, you know, would work in ministry, other realms, helped pastor a church in Texas and eventually would come back nearly a decade ago to be part of this ministry that, 
that I feel like God has called me to. Um, and that's Sunrise Adult Teen Challenge. And, and the reason is, is because, um, you know, I, it's, it's a ministry where the gospel is, it's just different than preaching to, um, there's a desperation that makes people receptive. Now, obviously, I know that it's not the, the situation that produces, you know, regeneration. But, but for me, um, being here and watching just these extreme life transformations, not these, not the idea of these dramatic testimonies, you know, where we can write personal memoirs about ourselves and glorify ourselves. The idea that men were com who are completely self-centered and completely centered on addiction and estranged from their wife get a hold of the biblical gospel, or rather, God gets a hold of them and watch the the work of sanctification work out you know they're supposed to be here for a year but some men stay here for two or three years and work with us and go through our ministerial school which is sort of like a really a bridge to you know really just to equip lay people to think hermeneutically and and to understand homiletics and you know exegesis and uh, church history and these sort of things obviously if someone's going to you know, go into the pastorate or something like that, then we want them to go, you know, be formally educated if, if possible. But anyways, that's uh, that's what God has called me and my wife to do. And we've dedicated our lives to it until he, you know, moves us somewhere else. But I think we're, I think we're here. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that you said there that I, I find um, fascinating is, is one, I was in the military, Mike was in the military. And one of the things you hear sometimes when you're, everybody is, talks about the Lord, but then they live like the world, especially if you're in a war zone, right? And you had mentioned being in jail. And and so I think of people that I know that have gone to prison, gone to jail, and it's always like, oh, I believe in God. I've turned my life over to God. But it's not, it's not a genuine transformation in some of those cases. But it's very interesting how the Lord, even in those situations, can bring someone as he's working things out as for his purposes, bring someone who points you to biblical truth, you know, uh, and, and showing you these things to, to begin this process of him leading you into uh, coming to know him and getting more discernment as far as what is biblical truth. You know, I, I just find that sometimes we don't see these things God's hand in it while we're going through certain things. But when we look back, we can say, man, look at how God was positioning and doing these things, bringing these people into my life to use them to bring about his purposes. And now look where I am today doing these things that somebody even in prison was showing me. And now I'm trying to help these young men do the same thing. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We actually just one other thing to tell you about that. We actually have a prison program here too. That is a very unique we don't go into the prisons, um, you know, periodically. In the largest men's prison in Oklahoma, Lawton Correctional Facility, we actually have a Teen Challenge program inside of it. It's a 112-man pod that we, you know, we fully fund here out of out of Sunrise, and uh, it's a uh, very unique because men apply to come be part of our program. Now, most many men come because drugs have wrecked their life or whatever. You know, the reason people come to church or the reason people you know, quote unquote, seek God, even though we know, you know, no one seeks after God, no one. But but in, 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 in essence, many things that bring people to church or to reach out or whatever, it's not because they're, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to I want to dedicate my life to serving God and be his slave and 
you know, abandon my life for the glory of God. No, it's typically some sort of thing. So for us, addiction tends to be that catalyst. Um, the truth is, though, uh, when people are presented with the gospel, just like in any situation in life, mm -hmm. um, they either reject the Lord or accept the Lord based on, you know, uh, what the work God does in them. And so, but it's a unique thing because going in the prison for me is just one of the best parts of my life, just because it's so, you know, when most people go into prison, they think that you're just going to find these um people that desperately need to hear Jesus. Man, there's guys that have been living for God and know their word uh, for 20 years better than, than any of us, you know? And so it's, it's, a, it's a unique dynamic of people who desperately need the gospel and people who are very, very resigned to following Jesus in some of the worst, you know, worst environments in, in the world. So it's a, that's a pretty cool um, dynamic that I really enjoy being a part of. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you mentioned that I thought was very helpful, I think, for us to consider uh, in discipleship of other individuals, whether it's in our local church or maybe it's uh, someone that we've shared the gospel with and we're trying to help them get them into a local church, but also discipling them as we're trying to find some place for them to, to sit down and find roots is, as you said, when this pastor came along and he with all the confusion that you had from some of the theology that you was kind of like um, just got into, he was gracious and patient with you working. Sometimes we can be very, uh, we can lack grace in wanting somebody to get something right. rather than taking the time to work with them. And I think there, there, there's a level of discernment because obviously as someone who goes out on the street, sometimes you have people come up and you can tell that they're just trying to waste your time. Right. But then you have other people who are genuinely asking questions and they may seem like foolish questions or questions you think like, why would somebody, don't you know that? That's an easy, easy question that, that has easy answers to it or, or answers that anybody could look up. But you can tell they're genuinely asking from a right motive or a right heart. Yeah. Um, and again, obviously we can't discern the hearts and intentions of, of, of a person's motive, but you can, you can sort of discern these things when you're in certain conversations and all that to say is to take the time to be patient and right. to be gracious with them and work through them. It's a process, especially yeah. if somebody's coming out of some the theological, uh, uh, out of a the theology that is not sound. It may take some time to work through those things because, as you said, you know, you may, this is what you've been told. And so as you're seeing things that aren't lining up, but you may, you're thinking to yourself, these people must, they must have a higher understanding of these things than I am. Because for some reason, I'm not seeing it, but they, they are. So, you know, but just to be patient. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that you know, is a great distinction here, what you were talking about is the idea that. There's a big difference between evangelizing people in the street, you know, and having an, a, an apologetic sort of evangelistic uh, mindset and then discipling someone in the setting of the local church. Because, you know, when I was there with with Pastor Chad, um, you know, I wanted to to please God and I had resigned myself to, um, you know, to be part of this church and to not in some blind way, but to subject myself to discipleship. And I think sometimes our soteriology is what really gets us in trouble is because there are people that are, that are so 
you know, desperate to reach people um, that they that this is this is a lot of what I write about. The pragmatism that's in the church today is we we, we realize we think that people are so desperate for the truth when they're not they're not dis- displaying any of the signs of someone who really is being drawn by God. And so, like you said, we can't discern people's hearts, but that's why in the local context of the church, that, that that kind of discipleship takes on a different form than when you're, you know, necessarily street evangelizing someone. Um, you know, you can, people ask questions, people heckle you, uh, but, and there will be that real encounter with the person. But, but we're, you know, we, we're, we're sowing and we're, we're watering and we have to have faith in um, the fact that God makes things grow. And that's why in one of my books, Hard Sayings, I really sort of pound on, uh, you know, I have a lot of, friends who are charismatic. I wouldn't consider myself a cessationist, but I definitely, I, I just, I'm more, think of Paul Washer. I, I can't bring myself to say that. I don't believe in modern day apostles. I don't believe in, in prophets, but I, there's some language that I'm not comfortable with surrendering to there because I'm not sure that it's biblical. But that being said, um, what's interesting to me is that many people who are quote unquote talking about the spirit of God all the time, you know, representing the spirit of God is able to do all these mighty things. Uh, many times have the least confidence in the power of the spirit of God as the gospel is preached to draw God's people. <laughs> and that's, and that's the, that's the big problem is this idea that, that the gospel is not enough. And it's interesting to me that people who emphasize the spirit so much um, typically are the ones who have the least confidence in the places where the Bible says um, that that it's only the Spirit of God, and 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 that's what you know, First Corinthians two one through five is really about. I've heard people butcher that scripture and try to make you know, anytime the word power, the Spirit and power, people get real excited. But the truth is, is the context of chapter one makes us understand that this is about the gospel, the gospel that's a stumbling block and and folly to the Jew and to the Gentile. And it's literally the power of God that defies the wisdom of the wise. And I won't get started preaching, but I feel like that's that's really where a lot of deception comes from um, in my personal life is, is the idea that the spirit of God was pitted against the word of God, which is very ironic since the spirit of God divinely inspired the scripture. And so for me, I think the solution is, is exegesis and expositional preaching. And that's why I'm a big, big proponent of expository preaching because it it keeps the preacher honest. It it keeps the people honest. Um, Obviously you can misuse expository preaching, but to a discerning crowd of people, it's a lot, it's a lot harder than using a topical message to propagate your propaganda or your church growth method or you know whatever you're selling that week and so yeah for me that's that's really what we we center in on here is i want these people to be i don't want to just teach them what to think i want to teach them how to think about the bible Mm -hmm. um and and i feel like that's that's very important yeah and and would take great patience and and grace because Again, as you said, you know, we, we trust those of us who hold to a reformed soteriology and a reformed understanding of the sovereignty of God. We know that it is God who is working in us and through us and justifying us and sanctifying us. Yet we still have to be patient in allowing. I always I even hate to say allow, but speaking from a from a, a, a natural kind of understanding of things, allowing a 
God to work in someone rather than trying to force it upon them. Like you need to really get this. No, it may be a process for someone to really work through those scriptures, especially if they've been ingrained a certain way for so long. It may take some time for them to come out of that way of thinking. And so it is God who is doing the work in them, but he also uses individuals as a, a, a way of discipling people. He uses the, the local church ultimately is, is the, the, the thing by which God uses is the main purpose uh, is this local church to bring and disciple and bring people up. And so, but we have to think sometimes, let's be gracious, let's be patient. Let's work with this person to kind of help them, not immediately, oh, they're a heretic, oh, they, they don't understand this. And this. No, we need to have that grace as well and be patient. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think one of the, the things that you said is so true is this, is, you know, Spurgeon wrote a lot about the idea of, you know, people who don't have, um, and I'm paraphrasing him, but who don't have, you know, a care towards preaching the gospel to the lost, you know, are people that possibly need to examine their own salvation. You know, when we think about the idea that, you know, soteriologically that it's by grace that we've been saved, you know, we can very, you know, quickly cut that off at the legs and say, so no one can boast and it's of God and we have no part to play in it. But for whatever reason, God chose the foolishness of that which is preached and he chose people. And I feel like that for those of us who have a an understanding and all of us should have an understanding that there really is nothing to boast about. Like mm -hmm. even the knowledge and understanding and insight that we have into the scripture, that too is a gift from God. I mean, I read the right. Bible much of my life and, you know, I, I would somehow I never saw what the second half of Romans chapter one was saying, or I never really let Matthew sixteen twenty four about picking up your cross and denying yourself and following me. For some reason, these were things I didn't notice and and I would just, you know, I would end up at Philippians 4.13 or something, um, not understanding that contextually either. So I feel like this idea that, that it's grace that it's been given to us through really should permeate the way that we preach. Now, let's not confuse grace um, with, with the idea that we diminish the truth. We don't. We present the truth in love. Um, and I think that's the, uh, that's the downfall of much of the evangelical church today is this presupposition that grace somehow is allergic to sound doctrine and grace is allergic to biblical truth when, when the opposite is true. And I like to always say this, people ask me all the time, you know, how do you minister the gospel to those guys, those drug addicts? And, uh, you know, like there's a special method. Uh, and and it's, it's hilarious to me because I was the person that the seeker sensitive movement was aimed at. I'm the demographic. I'm the lost person who, you know, as a drug addict and the, the worldly person. And really we all are, but, but I was mm -hmm. the demographic. And the truth was when God drew me in, it, you know, it didn't matter if the, if there was a rock band playing or the lights were dim and a keyboard was playing in the background, um, or if the preacher had a cool haircut or, you know, skinny jeans or whatever, at some point I hunger and thirsted to be right with God. And that's something that God produced in me. And so what, what I needed was, someone to preach the truth to me. And when someone did preach the truth to me, by the grace of God, I responded to it. And that's really all of our story, even though our, you know, our paths getting there aren't the same. And so for me, that's why I write so much about the modern evangelical church, as many people do, but because I feel like it's, uh, you know, I just wrote a paper, uh, a monograph for my 
doctoral course here and really it's you know it's it's pragmatism right but it, i call it theological pragmatism the, the subtle poison of compromise in the church and i really argue that pragmatism is you know obviously we know from school that pragmatism is a you know as a philosophy and william james and all that has been you know evangelicalism said that that's not sound but the truth is is pragmatism in our day and age is really more of a helpful companion for biblical truths that are inconvenient. No one's, no one's spouting, you know, uh, 19th century pragmatism. What people are doing is using that pragmatic method to, you know, and, and really it's all centered around the worldly disease of church growth, in my opinion. Um, and that's a, maybe a topic for another time, but, you know, I think that's the poison of the church is the idea that we were called to grow the church when Christ says in Matthew 16 that he would grow his church. He would build a church. And the church he builds, the gates of hell will not prevail against. And uh, unfortunately, like, you know, many of us, you know, it's hard to find a biblical church today. I mean, it really is, you know, um, to find there's there's areas in our country where people, you know, are driving an hour and a half to go to a, a church that really preaches God's word and is not infested with, um, you know, pragmatic worldly ideas. And so, I really feel like that's what the final thing I say in that regard is, is, you know, what, what did Timothy hear from, you know, his mentor, Paul in second uh, Timothy chapter four, you know, he said in view of God and Christ to, you know, who will judge the living and the dead that to reach the lost, we need to preach, you know, witty topical sermons that make people feel good. No, he said, preach the word. And that's what we need right now. We need a, a revolution or, or even a, maybe a reformation once again in our country of, of, of people who are boldly preaching the word. And, and uh, I think a lot of the problems isn't what they, what they add to it. For many of it, it's the things they leave out. Yeah, I've, as people listen here, know I'm, I'm a big critic of the Seeker Sensitive. We've talked about it, reference it. It's, I don't think it's as big of a deal now. It's kind of at least festered away in, in that some sense. Form. Yeah, in that form. The um um Bill Hybels and um Rick Warren. Rick Warren and that type. Um though I think you still see it um kind of in that way. And I think you know <clears throat> we think about that again not trusting the promises of God in our evangelism. Not pros- trusting that when God's word goes forth, it doesn't retu- return void. It's effective in what it does. And I think sometimes too, when we think about it, is God sometimes uses the gospel to harden someone's heart and their rejection with it. And that's, I feel like for some people, that's hard to imagine that this good news God uses to harden people's hearts. But that's what happened to Pharaoh. Right. And we see Pharaoh hardens his heart. We also know that God is actively working in there too. It's not just Pharaoh. And to to think about do I really trust the promises of God? Like in my evangelism, in my discipleship, even with my kids, do I trust that me ministering to them with good theological resources, the gospel, having to memorize catechism questions and Bible verses and all these good things. This is not to discourage that. It's all good things. 
I can do this all and still raise heathens. Right. And ones that will reject the reject the gospel. But it's do I trust that this work that God would use to save them? And again, like as you as you mentioned it, just that kind of the pragmatic if we do this and you do this and a little bit of this and boom, you can get converts. It's not how the bo- the gospel or the Bible presents church growth. Church, the true church growth is faithfully preaching the gospel week in and week out to the people you're able to minister to in the spheres. And obviously in your occasion, people are coming for this. Um, to hear trying to not only change their life in a worldly sense, in the natural sense, but in one sense, you're taking the opportunity to change their life spiritually, which we know will change their life within the physical realm God has given them. Definitely. Yeah, one of my favorite analogies about the gospel, not to yammer and yammer on, but I always like to close out a, a you know a gospel sermon based on you know in, in the uh, I believe it's in First Corinthians where it talks about the aroma of the gospel you know death to some and and you know the and life to others and I always like to to use this example it'd be like if a robber came into your house and he he bound up you and your wife and was robbing you guys you know stealing stealing blind and you guys are tied up and you, you hear them talking saying listen you know these these two are I've seen our face, and so when we're done robbing them, we're going to have to kill them. And so you're, you're, you're both afraid. You know, you're sitting there. You're, you're getting robbed. You think you're about to die. But you don't know that before you were tied up, your, your wife hit the panic button on the alarm. So in the distance, you hear the faint sound of a siren. And, and that siren gets closer and closer. And as it comes closer to you, that sound means salvation and help and hope. But that same exact sound to the people who are robbing you sounds like condemnation and judgment. And obviously, analogies are, are not perfect. But the idea of, of how we perceive the gospel is we don't have any control over how people respond to the gospel. We have to preach the gospel with integrity and truth because it is the only means by which men are, men are saved. And so, uh, you know, you, you, could, you, you were talking about the seeker-sensitive movement. You know, one of my, uh, some writing I've done extensively on this is the idea that the, we don't use terms like seeker-sensitive or purpose-driven anymore, but it's in my opinion that the purpose-driven and seeker-sensitive movements are the greatest cancer to happen to the church in the last 50 years. Because while people don't say that anymore, the the lingering effects are still there. The, The damage it's had on even healthy churches that have, adopted this sort of attractional model um, in the name of, you know, the idea Bill Hybels said, don't preach things that make people feel rejected from from the Sunday pulpit. You can deal with that in classroom 101, you know, on Sunday nights. But the problem is, is it never gets dealt with because there's always more seats to fill and you got to feed the machine. Um, and it takes money to do that. And, and you don't, you don't, you don't keep that machine going by um, telling people, you can't sell something to someone that you're pandering, you're, you, you're pandering to. You can't disciple them. You can't, um, you know, cause them uh, to 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 hear the truth because it's not in your best interest. And 
you know, I know that many people are in these movements who, who are good people, who, who do love the Lord, um, but they're blind to the fact that, that this is not God honoring. And let's forget about the church discipline, the sacraments, um, you know, true worship of God. But anyways, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a lingering thing that has just reinvented itself in the last several years and, and continues to reinvent itself by a different name. Yeah. So about the ministry that you guys do now, the, the sunrise ministry, um, maybe you want to share some of, uh, some, some good experiences, some, some, some things you've seen the Lord really provide in or move in, uh, to kind of encourage those who are listening, uh, as well to, to see, you know, the work that you're able to see and witness God doing this in the lives of these individuals. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, God, if our eyes are open to um, what the Lord's doing in the earth, you know, we uh, we all have a different vantage point of, of where he's he's working his will. He's, you know, working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But mm-hmm. here for me personally, um, you know, we're a ministry um, that is a true nonprofit. You know, we're we, we, we don't say no to anybody. Um, you know, one of the things about traditional or secular or even faith-based rehabs is typically um they are very expensive and so for us you know the we don't say no to anybody we 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 allow anybody that um does have to answer questions and go through an application process because we're not a a homeless shelter we're a place for people who want to get free from addiction first and foremost and uh, the means we do that through is hopefully through complete life transformation through the gospel but you know We've seen many, many amazing things. I mean, I'll tell you, you're talking about grace for people. You know, even with my story and my background, you know, I forget sometimes the power of God myself. And there's times people walk through the doors of this place where in my flesh, I say, well, that guy's a great candidate and he seems really responsive and a lot of potential in him. And then another guy will come in and I'll think this guy don't have a chance. Um, And of course, you know, uh, many times I'll, you know, God has proven me wrong and, really goes to show that we don't understand what God's doing, what work he's doing in people. Um, but I'll give you one example of a guy who came here several years ago, a dear friend of mine named Wesley Burns. Uh, I, he's a, uh, you know, someone I like to call my Timothy. He's someone who's been under my discipleship for many years. Now he's, uh, he's leaving to go be a missionary to Japan. Um, and it's just interesting to watch this trans, just transaction. When he showed up here, he was a heroin addict and his wife was a heroin addict and they had a young son who was a year old and they were, you know, living out of wedlock and he was facing a lot of time in jail, which let me just say this, what I'm about to tell you doesn't mean that following God is to get out of jail free card. We make mistakes and we have to pay the price. But in his particular situation, he was facing a lot of time in jail and um, he came to the program, had a real hard time, but at some point God got a hold of him and I watched him become hungry for the things of God and God, begin to sanctify him. And I had an opportunity to share some of that same grace that was shared with me all those years ago and really watch, you know, a man who, who became hungry for the things of God and became interested in doctrine. Uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, but so many people think that we've got to dumb things down for these guys. You know, they think, you know, they talk about this sort of like, listen, I preach the, to these guys, the scripture expositionally, we're reading the Puritans, we're reading theology books. And, uh, and, and you know, these guys who are in Christ are responding to it. So 
eventually Wesley and his wife both became drug free. Wesley graduated the program. I was able to marry them to one another. Um, now they're both following God. And as God began to rebuild their life, they, they got stuff, you know, they started getting vehicles and houses and money and, you know, the things that you didn't have as an addict. And then to watch him one day come into my office and say, I feel like I need to go to a place where the gospel is 1%, 1% of people in Japan know Christ um, and begin to sell all the stuff he had spent the last few years acquiring so that he could go to the mission field. To me, that's a, that's a story of, of God's grace that, you know, realistically that a method didn't produce, I surely didn't produce. And even this program that facilitates Christian discipleship can't take the credit for producing. It's, it's the glory and power of God, um, you know, and, and that's just one of many, many stories. And I'll just say this briefly. I know we're not, don't have a ton of time left, but, you know, there are these men who, who go on and become pastors and these men who go on and become missionaries and, and uh, men who go and start businesses. You know, I have a graduate who owns a very successful construction business. And in the world's eyes, these are the things they're pointing at. This guy makes money now. This guy has a house now. This guy accomplishes. But what's really beautiful is to watch men go home and father their children that mm. they weren't fathering before. Men to go home and be the husband to one wife that they had abandoned or mistreated before. And really for men to go home and be the answer to prayers, sometimes faithful Christian parents who have been praying for them for decades, you know, as they watch them squander their lives, because some of these, I mean, the, the age limit, 18 to, we've had a man graduate here in the sixties before. So um, one other thing I want to say about our ministry, just if you don't mind, is our center is a men's center, but we are part of a network that where we have centers for teenage boys, teenage girls, adult women, and adult men. Obviously, we keep them segregated so that we can focus on the main things instead of each other. But so it's not just for men. There's a there's a gospel-centered ministry for for man, women, child. You know, uh, anyone. I always like to say, if you got a pulse, we got a place for you. And so, you know, that's just one one story of encouragement. I could tell you thousands of God's provision and. Uh, you know, it's not easy doing what we do here. You know, um, God's given us a unique ability to support ourselves. Um, we don't just ask for donations and church support. We do, but we also work. You know, we have thrift stores that, that are ran by graduates and all proceeds support the ministry. And um, the books that are sold through, of my books that are sold through the ministry, all profits go to the ministry. And so we really are doing, you know, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So God has given us a unique way to provide using our hands and our minds and not just, you know, we do fundraise, we do ask for people to help, but, but just, you know, most of the time it's sort of a network that builds itself because there's always men graduating. There's always families who believe. And so I, I like to say this about any ministry. Um, and I include the church in this. If you're really a gospel centered ministry that's producing fruit, you don't have to convince people of it. You don't have to pander. You don't have to endlessly fundraise. There's nothing wrong with, with talking about money. If you're at the church that you attend and the air conditioner is going out and one of the elders wants to get up and say, hey, we need to replace the air conditioner. We're going to have an air conditioner drive. That's fine. But this idea that that we have to manipulate people out of their money. Listen, I, I'm a person, and you can correct me if you disagree with this, but I believe if a ministry is God-ordained, God will supply its means. And he'll do it for a variety of means. And we don't have to manipulate people by doing it. So if you're producing fruit, um, godly people want to support it. And not just with money, with prayer and support. Because it takes a lot to run a, 
ministry like this. And, and, and one other thing that's important for me to say, we talked about this off the air, but you know, we're connected to the local church. Um, obviously we have our own ministry here. We have church here on Wednesday nights. We have chapel five days a week in the morning. Um, but we also want these men to understand that, that when they leave here, that they need to be connected to the body of which Christ is the head. And I think that realistically, that focus is, a uh, is a much needed thing for people, not just drug addicts, but every person, um, to realize that the, the missions is born from the local church and evangelism should be born out of the local church and accountability and discipline and encouragement and support. And so, yeah, it's, a. Uh, there's many stories I could tell you, but that's just one. Um, and it's, it's great. Uh, you know, I'll say one more thing. That doesn't mean that everyone's a success story, Ricky, Mike. Right. It doesn't mean that every per. you know, I'm not representing every person comes here, um, gets off drugs. There's people that leave the program early. We've had people leave here and a week later OD. We've had people graduate mm -hmm. and, and go back. And so we've seen, we see both sides of it. And, uh, you know, uh, surrendering your life to Christ doesn't mean that you're promised a particular miracle or healing in a particular time. I look back at my life of addiction and I, I, I used to just weep and cry, God, I know you're able. Why don't you heal me or help me from this? But looking back now, I see the, the providential and sovereign hand of God conforming me into the image of Christ and preparing me to be a man who does have grace and mercy after I struggled for years and years and years and God took that that thing that you know the enemy meant for evil, and I meant for evil, and He used it for good for for me and for His glory and for His kingdom. So, and I think that's another thing that where you can recognize the grace that God gives to you and your wife and the others who are working in this ministry when you invest that time into individuals who do go back into those lifestyles. And as you said, sometimes over D that's a hard thing to experience and to see when you're loving on these people pouring into their life. And then same with pastors who are doing the same thing within their local church, they're pouring into these people's lives and then they go and have these things happen. Um, it is only the grace of God that can sustain you to keep you going and doing the ministry that you you continue to do and so uh, we are always so thankful for god's grace in saving us and sanctifying us and leading us through the difficult times and the good times uh, because apart from his grace we would all uh, likewise perish you know and Amen. so um i know we kind of it goes by really really quickly and so uh in the last couple minutes here uh, mike did you have anything real quick to say? yeah i mean just kind of on that point, you know, that's the Christian life when we mm -hmm. see sin. It may not be drug addiction or alcohol abuse, but just sin in general. When we yeah. recognize the sin and can't overcome it, um, that's everything. That's the Christian life and leaning mm -hmm. on the power of God to overcome our sin. And so even in the you know, the drug and alcohol, the big things we think about it, but that applies to my lying lips. They may not be mm -hmm. as big as we humans think about it, but lying lips are abomination of the Lord. And to, to think about that, um, just that importance of discipleship that we all fail in doing what God commands. And it's mm -hmm. only by God's grace and mercy that we can stand up and continue towards the celestial city. 
Yeah. Who's builder and maker is God. Yeah. So Josh, if you want to go ahead and uh, tell us where people can find you a website or a way of reaching out to you where they can find your books. Um, I know we didn't get into much of what's there, but if, if you can let them know where they can uh, find these, pick these books up, find sure. out more about the ministry. Well, my, uh, my books are sold everywhere. Christian books are sold uh, where you can get them at my website, which is joshuawest.net. Um, I also have a YouTube channel. Um, it's Pastor Joshua West. And really all it is is the chapels I preach to these guys as I go through books of the Bible line by line, verse by verse. And so haven't made it through the entire New Testament, but, you know, many, many books of the Bible are on there. And you could probably find a sermon on any verse, any chapter. Um, that's something that that's important to me. It's a, a exegetical preaching. Uh, you know, if you don't have the stomach for hour long sermons, it's probably not for you. But um, and then, of course, our our ministry here at Sunrise, you can find us at teamchallengeofoklahoma.com. And anybody who has, you know, needs help in this area, you, you can reach out to us and we will help you find a place for your loved one. And even if even if we're not the right fit for you, try to help you navigate the next steps as as you deal with you know, addiction, which uh, is, you know, life controlling, life shedding for everybody. But just uh, so there's the books, there's the, the website, the YouTube channel. And, and really, um, you know, I'm just thankful for you guys having me on. I, I would say this about my books, you know, um, Christian books are great. Um, only Christian books that are good are the ones that point us toward the scripture and that glorify God. And I'm a human, but mine, mine work hard to do that. So um, you know, maybe you'll read, get it, give a couple of the new ones to read Ricky and, and you can, uh, give me some input on them, but, uh, that's pretty much all I have. Yeah. Well, we, we thank you for coming on. It was, uh, it was a joy having you on the program and hearing all about what's going on there with Sunrise Ministries and, uh, just what you've got going on, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, continue, look forward to continue to, uh, see this friendship and relationship grow. And um, we'll have to have you back on again sometime and, and talk about some more theological things as well. So awesome. uh, that'd be great. That'd be great. So, hey, thank you again for coming on to the program tonight. <clears throat> That's uh, been G220 Radio. And until next week, God bless and good night.